0: So um, I've been absolutely loving our functional faith series of talks that we, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks. Paul spoke uh, amazingly last week. If you're here, if you'd missed it, catch up on YouTube on the YouTubes. You can find that. Um, Paul spoke on um, on our relationships, our relationships with one another, and how faith impacts our relationships. And as Matt has, has already told us, today we're going to be thinking about how um, faith impacts our generosity, how we think about our generosity with our time, with our gifts. With, our, with one another in our relationships, but specifically thinking about how our generosity with our finances. Um, so before we get going, we're going to hear from scripture. I'd love to invite Kelsey to come and share the Bible passage this morning. If you've got a Bible, um, you might want to open it up to Mark twelve forty one to 44. It'll be on the screens. Um, Kelsey. Um, the widow's offering He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put a large sum of money. A widow came and put two copper coins in, which are worth one penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who have contributed to the treasury today. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she has contributed out of her poverty and put everything she had in all that she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you. Okay, so I want to begin with a question. How much is this worth? It's a penny. How much is this penny worth? It's not a trick question. One p. There we go, the end. Um, Seems pretty simple. Seems a pretty obvious answer, right? But how much do we actually value such a small and fiddly coin? If you've got massive hands like me, just oh, always dropping them, always fiddly. Um, hands up if you recently paid for something using a 1P or a 2P. Oh, okay, a couple of hands. Okay, now hands up if you paid for something using a 1P or a 2P and it wasn't for the arcade machines on Paint and Pier. That's none of us. That is none of us. So why have we still got them, hey? Interesting. Did you know that according to a study done last year, one in seven people living in the UK admitted to throwing their one p's and two peas in the bin? So look around, if you're in a row of six, yeah, there's like seven of you. One in seven throw their, throw their one p's and two peas in the bin, which, which means apparently as a nation, we each throw on average 51 P in the in the bin each month. 51p in the bin each month, just in coppers. And 51p each month, you, th- you might be thinking, that's not sounding like a lot. But when you add it all together, and I actually, I triple-checked this stat. I ran it past people in the office this week because I was like, this is a mad statistic, right? That accounts for 44 million pounds each year that British people throw in the bin. That's a pretty remarkable stat, but it's also pretty confusing when you think about it, isn't it? We value money so much in our society and yet we're willing to literally throw it away when it's too fiddly to keep track of. This week, as Matt said already, it really has felt like there's been like a different headline every few hours when it comes to the economy and the financial state of our nation. I think for me that's just really highlighted the fact that as a nation, as a society, we're bombarded with lots of different messages about money, about how we should interact with our finances. Some of them my, go, you know, you might hear that you should aspire to be somebody who has a lot of money, society might say. But at the same time, there's not enough to go around. You've got to stretch out every last penny, but also don't be a cheapskate. You need to work harder, but also you need to work smarter. You need to gain more money, gain more possessions, gain more value. But also as a nation, we're willing to throw 44 million pounds each year in the bin because it's a bit annoying. But this morning. I want to propose that the antidote to these overbearing and confusing narratives around our finances is generosity. Being generous sets us free from being ruled by anxieties or worries about money, and it helps us to focus on the one who ultimately has given us everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, Psalm 24 reminds us. When we're generous with our finances, we're just trusting God with what he's already given us with what's already his. He's give it, we're just giving away our money to bless God and to bless our neighbor. And one of the most crucial things that being generous does is set us free from the lie that your value is determined by how much money you can spend on stuff. Because in the world's eyes, only having a little to spend, only having a little to offer, means that you have little value. And this broken way of thinking is why our passage today is so important. Whilst the world says only having a little to offer means you have little value, Jesus looks at each and every one of us and he delights in our intrinsic value. And he says, if you feel you've only got a little to offer, but you want to be generous with it anyway, then that is worth more than you can ever know. And so this morning, I want to explore this in a bit more depth. I just want to draw out two brief points from our passage for today. The first point is that generosity isn't about our ability to give. It's about our hearts. So a fun fact about me, I can't swim. Partly, (laughs) ah, some sympathy from the front row here. Thanks, Matt. Um, Partly it's because I'm dyspraxic, but mainly it's because in Gloucester, when I was growing up in the 90s, there weren't any swimming pools and the River Severn looked very cold. So uh, no one, I didn't really learn to swim anywhere, so I can't swim. But when I moved to Payton, I said to myself, one day I'm going to swim in the bay. And so three weeks ago, I started adult swimming lessons. Wait, oh, thanks, guys. Oh, guys, guys, that's kind. Um, And I'm not going to lie, on week one, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. It's a pretty vulnerable thing, turning up, trying to find your group, and asking the question, am I in the right place, whilst wearing way less clothes than you normally do? That is a really vulnerable thing. Because if the answer is, no, you're in the wrong place, it's got weird really quickly. Okay? <laughs> but then you, I, I got in the pool, and I, I felt this general sense of fear, because usually the consequences of not being able to learn something are, oh, well, I can't do that thing. But if I get this wrong, I might die. That's the worst-case scenario, right? So I'm terrified. I'm in the pool. And we're swimming. If, uh, the, the, the thing that spurred me on, though, The thing that really spurred me on that that first session was the generous encouragement of my swimming teacher and the other people in my group. They encouraged me. They cheered me on. They clapped when I swam halfway across the pool, clinging for dear life to my pool noodle. And the thing is, right, those other swimmers, they're only on like week five or six of learning to swim themselves. They're not actually technically that good at swimming. They haven't actually got much in terms of swimming expertise to give me but they had loads to give me in terms of encouraging me. They were all incredibly generous to me with their encouragements, even though they didn't have much to give me in terms of knowledge about how to actually swim. And I think we find in our passage, it's kind of the same for how we approach our finances. Generosity isn't about our ability to give. It's possible to have a huge amount of money in the bank, but to be incredibly stingy with it. Because as we read in our passage, generosity is all about our hearts. The hearts of those people swimming alongside me, they weren't technically good at swimming, but they wanted to encourage me. And it was all from their hearts that that generosity got me through week one of swimming. I'm on week three now. It's going all right. It's going all right. So Jesus and his followers in our passage, they're in the outer courts of the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is watching people put their offerings into the temple treasury. And floating around the outer courts are crowds of normal people, punctuated by these groups of high and mighty religious leaders and other groups of well-to-do civic leaders. We've got to remember this is a time before banks really existed, so it's kind of the temple isn't just the spiritual center of of Jerusalem. It's also like the communal and the economic center. So you've got all sorts of people, all sorts of well-to-do people flirting around the outer courts of the temple. And in the outer courts of the temple, you wouldn't have popped your offering in a beautifully designed giving envelope, such as you might find on your seat, Or in, you know, like a lovely felt-lined offering plate, you would have dropped it into a massive chest. Like, kind of like a big pirate's treasure chest. And so people would be able to hear the size of your offering. You make a big offering, it makes a big noise. You make a little offering, it makes a little noise. So if you turn up like many of the religious and civic leaders of the day would have done, and drop a load of big old coins into that chest, it's going to sound really good. It's going to make a lot of noise. It's going to sound pretty impressive. But one person who's not that impressed is Jesus. Because he's looking at their hearts. Instead of humbly giving money over to the temple of God, they're letting everybody know how well off they are by making sure that the sound of their generosity rings around the table and around the temple. Jesus tells his disciples that because they're giving out of their wealth, And they're doing it in this way, with this heart, with this attitude, that their giving is worth next to nothing compared to what the widow gives. And what the widow gives is an objectively tiny amount. Her two copper coins are a denomination of a Hebrew currency called a lepton. Can you say lepton? Lepton. Lepton. Oh, that's a nice word. Um, But they are the smallest denomination of coin that exists in Israel at this time. And if we had them around today, we'd we'd be treating them like our one-piece and our two-piece, and we'd be throwing them in the bin. Because these two coins are financially worth next to nothing. But Jesus is watching her. And he sees her heart. And it's her generous heart that Jesus holds up to his followers as a pattern for how to live. All of those rich folks flashing the cash, wanting everybody to see how generous they are. Everything they've put in is worth nothing. But you see this poor widow? Her two coins are worth more than anything else that's gone into the treasury. And so just as my fellow swimmers gave encouragement to me, even though they're lacking in swimming knowledge, so this woman gives money to the temple even though she's lacking in financial resources. Because generosity is not about the size of our bank balance, or about how much you can shake out of your wallet before you notice it's gone. It's definitely not about how impressive or flashy your giving is. Because this widow's purse might be empty, but her heart is overflowing. And the reason it's worth so much to Jesus is because he sees her heart. He sees her posture of generosity. He sees the faith she has in God. He sees that she trusts God with her last two coins. It's perfectly possible for us to be stingy with a thousand pounds. And it's perfectly possible to be extraordinarily generous with a couple of coins. It's not about how much we give. It's about how we give. Because generosity is not about our ability to give. It's about our hearts. And the second point I just want to draw out from our passage is that Jesus redefines the value of our generosity because Jesus redefines the value of us. Earlier this month, uh, this China, we got a picture of this. This Chinese vase was put up for sale at an auction house in France. And it was looked over by some experts who determined that, although it was beautiful, it was nothing more than just an ordinary vase. Just a 20th century replica, of a very rare kind of vase from the 18th century. So it was probably worth around 2,000 euros. Now granted, 2,000 euros is more than I've ever spent on a vase. Um, But in the history of this particular auction house in just south of Paris, it it was pretty unremarkable. In fact, the experts who valued the vase mentioned on several occasions just how ordinary it was. And then came the day of the auction, where a bidding war erupted between 30 different people from across the world And the vase eventually sold not for €2,000, but for €8,000,000. Turns out that the vase was 4,000 times more valuable than the experts thought it was, because the experts had missed something that the bidders had spotted. A stamp on the bottom of the vase, indicating that it once belonged to Xianlong, the 18th century Chinese emperor. People tried to define the value of this vase, but they got it so wrong because they couldn't see who the vase belonged to. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like a vase? (laughs) Have you ever felt like other people have tried to define your value? They've told you that you're defined by the clothes that you wear, or the number of likes you get on social media, or the job or the status you have in society. Because if we go on these kinds of external measurements, then we're almost always going to be undervalued. People love to look at outward appearances. But God looks at our hearts, as it says in the Old Testament. And so when people try to define the value of you, try to define the value of me, they're often going to get it wrong because they're looking at the outward appearance. And so they can't see the stamp on your heart that says you belong not to an 18th century Chinese emperor, but to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. In our passage, all of the other people milling around the outer courts of the temple would have been so quick to pass judgment on the outward appearance of the widow. The fact that she's a widow means that she has no man to provide for her, protect her, or look out for her. In a society where, unfortunately, men were needed to do all those things for elderly women. She is vulnerable, she is poor, and she is alone. And she is living in a society which says she's worth next to nothing because of those things. She's worth about as much as the two tiny coins that she's just thrown in the treasury. And so when she walks up to those noisy treasury chests and places those those two coins inside, and she listens as they make an embarrassingly small noise, she's not just putting her two last coins in. She's putting her survival in, her livelihood, her whole life. And Jesus is watching her. She's given it all over to God. She doesn't just trust God with her last two coins. She trusts God with her next meal. She trusts God with her very life. And in the sight of Jesus, not only are those two coins redefined in their value, but so is this woman. And so are we. Because this is what Jesus does. Jesus takes the things which the world says are worthless, and he gives them worth. If the world has told you that you're worthless, Jesus says you are of so much worth to him. If the world has told you that your gifts have no value, Jesus says that they have so much value to him. Again and again throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus do this. He took some dirty water and turned it into exquisite wine to bless a wedding banquet. He took a little boy's packed lunch and he fed 5,000 people with it. He took a ragtag bunch of fishermen, corrupt tax collectors, and wannabe revolutionaries in a backwater corner of an oppressed nation, and through them started a movement called the Church, which would change the world forever in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in amongst all of this, we see the most valuable day in all of history itself, where Jesus submitted himself to death and made himself worthless upon the cross. Jesus was battered. He was broken. He was hung upon a cross. And he was despised by crowds of people because a dead Messiah has no value at all. He was made worthless so that we might find our worth as children of the Most High God. And by his death and his glorious resurrection, we are now liberated from sin and death. We are liberated from the accuser who accuses us of being worthless. And instead, we are invited to find our value in the risen and glorious Jesus, with his name stamped on our hearts and our names written on his hands. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. You are worth so much to God. Now, I'll be honest. I want to trust God like that widow. I want to be willing to give up everything I have, my last two coins, my next meal, my livelihood, my house, whatever. But I also really like having stuff, you know? I like having the privilege of knowing where my my next meal is coming from. Trusting God like this widow is hard. This level of generosity is an act of faith. So what I'm not saying is go and sell all of your possessions now so that you too can be poor like this widow. But what I am saying is that our culture, just like the widow's culture, throws a lot of confusing narratives at us when it comes to our finances. And being generous and giving it back to God sets us free from those narratives. I've found in my own life that at times where I've I've tried to cling on to my money and my possessions, I've actually had the most anxiety about them. But when I've been generous, that's when I've had the most peace about my finances. And So what do we do with all of this? Because if Jesus has told this woman that those two little coins in her hand have become more valuable than anything else once she gave them over to God, then the question for us today is, what do you have in your hands? What do the two copper coins in your hands look like? What are they worth to you? What do you think they're worth to Jesus? Because you are worth so much to Jesus. You might feel like what you can give to God in terms of your finances, or your time, or your gifts, amounts to no more than two tiny copper coins ready to be thrown in the bin with the other 44 million pounds worth of worthless coins. But Jesus is saying, nope. In my sight, those two copper coins are worth more than everything else. Friends, I want to encourage you this morning. Give everything over to God and watch what happens when the little we give him is infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. So what are your two copper coins? What's in your hands that the world has told you is worthless, but to Christ is more valuable than all the riches this world can imagine? Let's each invite the Holy Spirit. To help us grow in generosity. And, and let's exercise that generosity. Let's take every opportunity we can to exercise our generosity. Just like as soon as I get in the swimming pool next time, my muscles are built up. And a little bit better at swimming than I was in week one. Generosity is a thing we can build into our muscle memory. So let's buy a chocolate car, to, a, a, chocolate car a chocolate bar, or a chocolate car, who knows. Um, buy a chocolate bar to bless your colleague who's having a bad day. Give a few quid to that busker. Sponsor your mate who's running a half marathon for charity. There's a million different ways to be generous. And if I may be so bold, one of those ways could be to invest financially in the vision we have as a church here, to bless the bay. Matt's told you all about that. He's going to lead us on in a minute. But whether what you can give to this church, this bay, is worth just a thousand pounds or just a few pennies, it literally doesn't matter. Because generosity isn't about our ability to give. It's about our hearts. And whatever you give to God, whatever you give to others, of your finances and of yourself, Jesus will redefine the value of our giving. Because he redefines the value of you, of me, and of all of us. Amen.